Hey, everybody. You've got Coomer on the line here with the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Basketball Podcast, joined by Hummer. Hummer. It's a somber day to be a Bearcat basketball fan. After recording the podcast you're about to hear, Hummer and I found out what everyone else likely did today, which is that Chuck Mayshock, former Bearcat player, assistant coach, student coach, and most most likely how you know him, radio analyst, has passed away at the age of 82. And rather than have you listen to a podcast that made no mention of this, we definitely wanted to make sure we jumped on and paid homage to who a guy who really is a Bearcat legend and someone that really meant a lot to tons of people in the Bearcat community. Yeah, listening to to the broadcast growing up, you know, most of the time if I'm listening to the radio, it's in the car with my dad or my dad sometimes just really wanted to uh, listen to the radio broadcast as opposed to TV. So he would put the radio on while the TV was playing in the background. And it's actually something I still do to this day where it's easier for me with the Internet because I can push pause and wait for the radio to catch up and instantly sync it with uh, with with the iHeartRadio app. And. You know, Chuck was one of those voices and such a good color guy in, in the animation, the passion that he brought to the program. You know, you hear stories all the time of, of people talking about what kind of person he was, making you feel like you're instantly a friend or him being a mentor, acting almost as like a, a father figure to some of the players. You know, he's, he's, he's going to be greatly missed in, in the program. I've already missed in the last couple of years not hearing hearing his voice, especially when he he's making his picks for the, the struggle for the stake. Uh did have a, a steak in honor of him, except I did have to make it myself and then serve it to my wife this evening. So in that sense, I was serving the steak, not not being served at this time. Hopefully he's getting served all the steak he can. I Absolutely, Hummer. He's just a, a true legend in the community. Um, just, you know, he left the, the radio booth and after the 2017-2018 season. But you'd still see him around all the time. There's pictures of him with players, coaches, visiting teams, Greg Kellogg, uh, Clark Kellogg, I mean. Um, you know, he was infectious in terms of his personality. He told great stories. Uh, by all accounts, he was just someone that really cared about people, took the time to get to know folks, and that is how he left left such a lasting impression on everybody in the Bearcats community. Uh, one of my favorite stories, you know, obviously he's known for being a truly passionate Bearcat fan. Uh, he was, after all, ejected from an actual game. Uh, Dan Horde, and it was the tournament game against Gonzaga, and Dan Horde told a great story about this, that most people misunderstand what it was actually about. It was actually, what he said was, it was really a story of loyalty. He thought that Bob Huggins was ejected for a technical foul that he didn't deserve. Chuck got ejected for sticking up for his friend. And in turn, sticking up for the Cincinnati Bearcats. And for that, we will always love Chuck Mayshock. So if you guys want to do a, a deep dive, Google Dan Horde, David Letterman, and Dan Horde tells a very great story about that particular incident of getting kicked out of the game. He explains to David Letterman that he may need a replacement broadcaster for the Big East tournament in New York City. And he proceeds to tell... David Letterman about this, who then makes a running gag throughout the show. Definitely Google it. Take the time. Check it out. We're going to put it in this week's show notes. And now, this week's episode. Uh-huh. 
Cincinnati jersey All on the block, we get it in I'm in my Cincinnati Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, how's it going, buddy? I don't care what anybody says. The only team, Pearson, you can take this away from me is CBS Sports Network. But it is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. Indeed it is, Hummer. But we are coming off a wild weekend and a wild two games that created two wildly different emotions from Bearcat Nation. But you did mention CBS Sports. You have something you want to get off your chest? I'm over here. I'm singing the praises of CBS Sports Network because living out in Philadelphia, Cincinnati Sports sometimes is on an island. And CBS Sports is the only savior in this world. But then, what does CBS Sports Network do? They go out, and they have to make me watch a game that, I, frankly, I don't even know who these teams are. I have no idea where they're from. Uh, one is LIU. Don't know what it stands for. We got Mount St. Mary's. Once again, was that an all-girls school? No clue. Double overtime. Double overtime. Missed the entire first half of the Cats game. They would bring it up to show a little clip, but then move it right back down and just keep score at the bottom. What are you doing? Flip the switch. Put it over to the better game. All right? We're not, we're not some little conference out playing in high school gyms. Well, maybe Tulane, Tulane was maybe a, a little bit of a high school gym, but that's beside the point. No, you put us on. We're Cincinnati. We're the biggest, we're the biggest name in college hoops. You put us on. I don't care if Duke's on. I don't care if North Carolina's on. You put us on. I love the passion because CBS Sports, the CBS Sports Network, that's what they're called. They have been brutal, and I have been upset about seeing our games on that network for years now. Um, After the UConn game, I think I mentioned it to you that I can't wait for the day. I think it's next season when our games move to ESPN exclusively in the ESPN Plus network. And I think you said something along the lines of everybody has CBS Sports Network. CBS Sports Network is great. That is clearly not the case. Brutal to miss the entire first half. They did make it available online, uh, but good riddance to them after this season. But Hummer, let's get to some real talk about the Bearcats. Um, Last week, coming off the break, the long Christmas holiday, the team came back and looked awesome. They played the University of Connecticut soon to be formerly of the American Athletic Conference and good riddance, given that your football team offers absolutely nothing and the basketball team, we can't say is much better than that, given that the Bearcats beat them for, I think, the eighth consecutive game, 67-51, to an all-around awesome performance from the Bearcats, a game in which they only took nine total three-point shots and making only two of them. But despite that effort, They still shot 46% from the field. They got to the the free throw line 24 times, only made 54%. And turnovers were uh, 13, which isn't an exceptional number, but given the the turnover struggles we've had as a team, that wasn't terrible either. The ball was moving well. The defense was playing exceptional, given that we held them to 51 points. We contested three-pointers well. We kept them out of their comfort zone. And... I would say we head into the weekend feeling great as a Bearcats fan base. Then comes the Tulane game. We travel down to Tulane, who's riding a 22-consecutive game 
losing streak in the conference. We take a seven-point lead into halftime, 39-32, and find a way to lose the game 76-71, again giving up 40-plus points in the second half, this time 44. Tulane celebrates. Tulane Nation rejoices, ending their 22 23? I think it's 23. Yeah, 23 game conference losing streak. I apologize, Tulane, for shorting you one game. Mardi Gras came early in New Orleans. Bearcats come up short, and there's not a lot of positives to take away from that game. Hummer, there's obviously a lot to talk about given the two wildly different results. How do you feel after those two games? Well, the Tulane Tulane loss simply just, it stokes the fires for those on on the John Brandon troll train. Um, I'm not quite. I'm not there yet. I'm not going to be there yet in terms of of wanting to to fan those flames a little more. Uh, you know, the biggest difference that I think we're seeing though, and it's been a trend that you've noticed since the beginning of the season. And I'm not going to talk about the turnovers yet because that's that's a problem that's just been consistently persistent. It's the three point shooting, but it's the three point shots that are being taken in the Tulane game. We shot 27 threes. In the UConn game, we shot nine threes. And if I'm not mistaken, you have a few more stats that are going to back this up because it's more than just a two-game trend. The last time we won a game shooting over 23s was Alabama A&M. Right. We have not won And that's an games. outlier because that's a game where we could have shot anywhere we wanted because it's Alabama A&M. Yes. So we but, we did yeah. shoot – yeah, we shot a lot of threes against Alabama, Alabama A&M. We did the same against Drake. And then in the, in the Vermont game, we actually went 12 of 19 from three-point land as well. But I'd been noticing after the UConn game, I saw, hey, we only took three point. I'm sorry, we only took nine three point shots in that game, and yet we still had a dominant performance. To me, it seemed like John Brandon was actually tweaking the emphasis of his of his offensive system to move away from three point shots, and that's coming on. and And the reason you can think that confidently is that in many post game comments, John Brandon has been clearly saying we're not a very good offensive team. We don't have a lot of great shooting. And when you don't have a lot of great shooting, you shouldn't tailor your offense to three-point shots, even though that is where college basketball is moving at large. But it was a great sign in terms of acknowledging the talent on your roster. But what's happening is we don't seem, we haven't seen, seen a way or found a way to consistently get the ball inside and avoid those, uh, those, those three-point shots that appear to be to killing us to an extent. Now, to be fair... In this game in particular, Javen Cumberland shot 12 of those three-point shots. Javen Cumberland went 2 of 12 from three-point range. And if Yikes. I thinking back on the game, there's not a lot of three-point shots there that I didn't want him taking. He's a really good shooter. He came in as a, as a prolific three-point shooter in the University of Cincinnati. He's had his challenges getting open. But when Javen Cumberland's open, set from three, I want them being launched. Unfortunately, he just missed open shot after open shot after open shot. Yeah, and, you know, before or during the game, popping on Twitter, you know, not lying, I didn't get to say, I literally think I saw one minute of the second half because of the CBS sports uh, debacle. First, uh, yeah, first half. The first half. But, you know, also during that time, I had some time to listen to Dan Horde. I had also some time to reflect on the emotions and feelings of those in the Twitter universe. And something that I read stuck out to me and not to, you know, I know people are saying, well, no excuses, no excuses, no excuses. As a guy who travels for work for a living, 
I can wholeheartedly tell you this would mess up my entire day, if not my week, if this happened to me. So just for them to even put up that performance in the first half after after what we learned happened to them, I'm kind of impressed by that. But their charter flight, their charter plane broke down on their way to New Orleans. They had to then hop on a propeller pr- propeller plane that had to stop twice to refuel. That's twice to refuel, not getting into New Orleans till 3 a.m. That and you know they're not sleeping through those 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 types of flights. If anybody's ever flown on a propeller plane, they're they're not smooth like a jumbo jet. They're loud. They're shaky. Uh, it's just it's not a great a great environment to be in in terms of trying to to get rest and relaxation for for a basketball game. But you know that being said, they had a really good first half. But they came out and looked. I don't want to use the word flustered because they didn't look flustered, but they just looked disengaged, uh, a little a little tired. A little out of it. They weren't playing. In fact, they weren't playing defense at all, and it showed. They gave up a ton of points in the second half, 44 second half points. They turned the ball over a ton in the second half. Um, so they had, they had seven turnovers in the first seven minutes of the second half, and I think the turnovers and some some missed calls in the early going of the second half. And good lord, I'm so tired of NCAA officiating. It really is just an abject disaster. You know, I, I've, I obviously see it through the lens of a Bearcat fan, and there were plenty of very uh, unconspicuous uncom- calls in the second half, but they also missed an obvious goaltending on Trey Scott. So how upset am I actually going to get? I'm going to just direct it at the NCAA in general. It's just tough to swallow sometimes how bad these officials can be. But I, what happened was the Bearcats let it, let it frazzle them. They let that get in their head. I don't know that I necessarily saw them as disengaged, but they just seemed completely kerfuffled in the second half. They were all over the place. They There was no organization on defense. We were letting Tulane get to the rim at will. Obviously, they had some shooters making shots that they probably don't normally make. Um, Zhang, who played 32 minutes, went 5 of 5 from three-point range. A lot of his damage was in the first half, but... I think the announcer said he had nine three-pointers on the season. There's just breaks like that. When you pair that kind of shooting with the 17 turnovers, with not being able to knock down a three-point shot on our side, it's just a really, really tough night for the Bearcats. Yeah, it, it turned tough. And, and you mentioned uh, you know, the foul calls, and it, it, it does. It's, at some point, I do think the NCAA needs to hold a conference, nationwide conference, of all the referees to define a charge. You know, when I watch the NBA and I see a charge being called 99% of the time, it is a completely obvious charge where the player was set on a fast break for almost a full second before he gets ran over by by the opposing player. In college basketball, it's almost like you're allowed to just shuffle into the way of an opposing player, fall down, and get called for for a charge, where, in fact, that should probably more be along the lines of a blocking foul. That gets called a lot. The other one that was just egregious, though, was the uh, the, the the elbow that that Hightower threw. I want to say into the chest of Keith Williams, and then Keith Williams gets called for a blocking foul. I'm like, well, wait a minute. But like you said, this isn't the reason why the Bearcats lost the game. Good teams overcome bad officiating. It's very it's very easy to point that out. There's ten missed opportunities from Javen Cumberland. To put the Bearcats ahead. There's there's 10 of those. So if he makes a couple more of those threes, we're talking a completely different game. They overcame the bad officiating. On the other side of that, 
and I'm not going to say Keith Williams didn't have a bad, had a bad game because he had a great game. You know, I don't I didn't see all the shots all the shots that he took, but six of thirteen. Maybe there's a couple in there that maybe could have fallen. Uh, Trey Scott only took three shots. He only scored scored three. And I think we have a, a listener who's been pointing out that in wins. Trey Scott scores more than 10 points. In losses, he scores less. Yeah, to make it exact, you know, it's it's actually Mitch, uh, our, our best friend from Canada, our number one Canadian listener. Uh, he, he shared it. You know, Trey Scott in wins is averaging 11.1 points per game. Trey Scott in losses is averaging 4.7 points per game. He does seem to come into games, you, you could tell almost right away, is it aggressive Trey Scott or is it passive Trey Scott? And we got passive Trey Scott today. In, in the same way you're mentioning the, the shot distribution for Scott and for Williams, Jaron Cumberland only took eight shots in this game. Four of eight, six boards, six assists, struggled with turnovers again with four. But really surprising we couldn't find a way to get him more involved in the offense because it did seem like he was having success getting to the rim, not only for himself. He had a couple of great drives where he was able to finish, but he also had a great play in the first half where uh, might have even been the second half where he had a great dish to Chris Vogt um, for an easy dunk, you know, he is the best offensive player we have in terms of just being able to make plays for others, finish at the rim, hit down, hit outside shots. We need to run the offense through him. And it didn't seem like that happened enough today or against two. In the, in the second half, you know, there was a, there was a, a brief flash from Cumberland where you thought he was about to take over the game. And for a brief moment, you're like, yes, finally, this is what this is what you need, because in a game like this and they're going to happen as we get further into conference play, we're going to have more games like this. You know, let's let's all get prepared for I don't know, I'm not going to say losing the bad teams, not like that. I'm talking about close games, hard games on the road. The team as a whole overall may not be as hot as it as it could be, where the only person really doing a lot of damage in that second half is, is Chris Vogt, you know, and having and tying his his season high for points. But when you need a guy who's like Cumberland, who's going to drive to the hole, create space, and knock down shots, and you for for a second there he had a really good couple drives into the lane, a really good some tough put ups. I think one of them he even got the and one on a on a nice little left handed drive that he ends up throwing up with his with his left hand. It was it was beautiful play. Gets the and one. You think then that he's going to take over the game. He's in the driver's seat. And then it goes the complete opposite direction, and he in fact is not about to take over the game. We're st- it, it's just it, it, that's the frustrating part to me is you do have conference, returning conference player of the year, and this is the game where I do think that he was poised to be that I'm going to take it over. I'm going to put the team on my shoulders. I'm going to go ahead and pull this win for us when we need it on the road. Absolutely, absolutely. We need to find ways to make him a more consistent presence in our in our offensive system. Look, going back to the Iowa game, the second half of the Iowa game was an exceptional defensive performance. We carried that over into the UConn game, where we had we put together for the first time in quite a while two really good defensive halves, and we held them to 51 points. And it seemed like things were trending in a direction of, we're going to be a defensive team. This is our emphasis. We're going to do it differently than we did in past years. We're going to defend the three-point line better. We're going to press more. We're going to disrupt the offense of the other team. But, and it carried over again into the Tulane first half. We held them to 32 points. Honestly, that was, and that was generous for them because they did knock down shots they wouldn't normally hit. But we allowed our, our defense to crumble again in the second half. And that's why we find ourselves at a, at a point where 
making the team, making the tournament as an at-large team is going to be difficult. And Bearcat fans are going to have to realize not all hope is lost, but we are going to see probably more. It's more likely we're going to see a roller coaster season. I think this team is good enough to pull some upsets. I think this team can put together really good defensive performances and have games where we hit more of our shots from outside and upset the likes of Memphis and upset the likes of Houston. But unless we get the defensive performance to, to a high level, game in, game out, half in, half out, we're going to be, we're going to be really crossing our fingers for that conference tournament come March. Yeah. I mean, I think when we talked about this for the, for the conference preview, my, my, my synopsis was six losses is what we can give up. We said we cannot lose to teams like Tulane and Tulsa because of our conference schedule. You know, we had Temple just just the other day lost to, to a, a very bad South Florida team. So Temple stock takes a hit. Our stock now takes a hit. You know, every time that a bad team in the conference is beating, where at this point let's let's be realistic and have some self reflection here. We're not the elite in terms of who's who's now favored to win the conference. At this point, we're we're probably not even top four. You know, we're probably four or five. But every time we lose to a bad team, we take a hit. Every time. UConn loses another game. They take a hit. So as the middle of this conference gets worse and it separates from the top, those wins that we're looking at to be quality wins that take us over the hump are no longer good enough in terms of, of having those six losses. So we're, we're really looking at maybe we only have four four more to give up, but we have to. We're going to have it's, – it's a challenge because you're going to have to sweep a Houston or a Memphis or a Wichita. You're going to have to pull a sweep out of one of these – three elite teams at the top of the conference and it's a very tall order. So I think you're right when we're looking at it, what do the Bearcats have to do to make the tournament? It's well avoid <laughs> avoid Tulane, Tulane debacles. That's that's key. But honestly there's there's one thing that's been consistent throughout the season is turnovers. If those don't stop, this team's not going to win a lot of games. I think that's one of the, it's three pointers that we're taking. We need to get back to taking a high percentage shots and we gotta take care of the basketball. It, taking care of the basketball has just been it's been dreadful. Well, I do want to make sure we're highlighting a few things that are trending in the right direction because as frustrating as this two-lane loss is, it's not the end of the season. There are 16 conference games left. There are, there are positive signs for the team. This was a disaster, but let's keep this as a blip, you know, the third blip of the season, but a blip <laughs> nonetheless. Um, Mamadou Diara is on a run here of becoming an effective bench player in limited capacity, six to seven minutes a game. But he had really good minutes against Iowa where he was a key cog on in disrupting them defensively. He got six minutes against Connecticut where he went two of four from the field with two boards, only one turnover. And then against Tulane again, another produ- productive game for Mamadou Diara where he finished with six points, four boards, one assist, a lot of his damage done again in the first half, but I've noticed a new newfound confidence in his game on the court. He doesn't he doesn't give you the, the feeling of, of a chicken with his head cut off running around the court. He's actually playing with purpose and putting that athleticism to use. It seems as though yep. he's he's found himself a little bit. Yeah, uh, his defensive I think his defensive effort has been stepped up as well. So I think when he I remember we were kind of criticizing the lineup of him and Sorolla out on the court at the same time. But really, I think John Brandon has been using that lineup as as more of like a defensive game changer. 
one thing that was weird in terms of the Tulane game, though, is we did not see a whole lot of of Sorolla. He he played three minutes, so he really didn't run that that out there enough. I don't know. Maybe Sorolla was feeling under the weather because of the late the late getting in. I don't know. I'm not going to speculate on it. You know, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, that that's a good trend. Um, Chris Vogt continues to be an absolute beast monster Holy nine of cow. 11 after going eight of 10 against Connecticut another 20 point performance tw- finishing with 21 against Tulane now he had his problems on the defensive end I actually think he was one of the main culprits of of us falling apart defensively he was falling for pump fakes he was seemingly lost uh, with rotations at times and and like you mentioned that could be related to fatigue I mean these are 18 to 22 year old young men you're not going to get the same me- level of mental focus and energy game in game out. You like to think you will, but we didn't against Tulane. Um, but I, I did want to. I just there are enough signs here, and there are enough good players on this team to string some wins together. But it's really on the coaching staff on pressing the right buttons to make that happen. Yeah, and you know I, I'm I, I am using this as as a big excuse because I'm sitting here thinking to myself, all right. You don't get in until 3 a.m. You didn't sleep. And then once you land, it's not like you just land at the hotel and you're there. <laughs> like, hey, it's 3 a.m. We're in New Orleans. No, you got to get into the buses. You got to pack your gear up. You got to head your hotel. You got to get in the bed. What time are they getting up? I'm sure they let them sleep in a little bit. But once again, you're in the hotel. Some guys don't sleep in hotels that well. So now next thing you know, practices are, are coming around. Game was at four. So it's not like you had... It's not like they could probably let them sleep into one, you, you know, so it, it is what it is. We're going to move on from Tulane. This team's going to bounce back. We took two steps forward. We're taking a little bit of a step back, but I think the problems are identifiable. That's the thing. It would be one thing if, if it wasn't the same thing every game where we're just like, well, I don't know what's wrong with this team. We know what's wrong with this team. We're not taking care of the basketball and it appears we're shooting too many free th- three pointers. I think Brandon is highly aware of those issues. We've seen the trend in the other direction. But look, when you get a guy like Javon Cumberland, who's just wide open from from the arc, you're going to shoot that shot. You're going to shoot it. If you're not shooting it, you're you're not playing the you're not playing the game right. You're doing a you disservice take, to your team. He has to shoot those shots, and that's why coaches continually, you hear it from every coach we've ever had, Bob Huggins, Mick Cronin, Andy Kennedy, and now John Brandon. Coaches hang their hat on defense and get most frustrated with defense because it's the thing you should be able to take with you on the road, home, Puerto Rico, Hawaii. It doesn't matter where you go. Defense is effort. Defense is execution. Defense is mental focus. Yep. And when that when it's when it lacks, coaches know that's the thing they can control. You can't always control if you're going to make the shot. Yes, I expect that Javen Cumberland would typically knock down more than two out of twelve three point shots. But he didn't. With that said, we still scored 71 points. We should have won this game. Tulane had no business scoring 44 points on us in the second half. And and unfortunately for John Brandon, this continues to be a second half issue. It is a red flag, a legitimate red flag, and one that needs to be corrected. Because what happens is we play really solid first half, or a really solid first halves. We put ourselves in a position to win these games, to have control, to step on the throats of our opponent. And instead, other coaches are making different types of adjustments and bringing their teams out in the second half and outperforming us. That's on the coach. 
as much as it's on the coach, one thing I don't want to get into the habit of this season is, uh, you know, for me, I'm not giving John Brandon a total, you know, free pass to, to lose. That's not what this is. But, you know, I am giving him the first year benefit of the doubt because the guys that, and I think someone mentioned this earlier, uh, talking about how, well, you know, Cronin, this is why Cronin always said defense, 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 and defense, 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 and recruited guys for defense, 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 you know, because defense goes anywhere and you can win games. That's that's great. John Brandon wants to play defense, but John Brandon wants to play a different style on the offensive side. You know, comparing these two teams and in, in what you're seeing, we might be losing. It is way more fun to watch us actually score and move the basketball around than to stand around for 20 sec- 30 seconds dribbling the ball at the top of the top of the arc. So I'm more excited to see where this team's going to go forward as we're bringing in these recruits. You know, this this season is not over by any means, but I am definitely going to be looking forward to watching guys like Mike Saunders Jr., the Madsen twins, as you'll hear with our with their interview coming up. There's a lot to be excited with what's coming out with those guys. And then with the addition of Tahari Eason, when you're looking at these guys that Brandon's bringing in, he's bringing them in to fill the needs that he need that that he has. We're hearing that Mason's actually a, a really good shooter. We're hearing that Gabe has some explosiveness, you know, de- taking getting the ball at the top of the rim and rebounding. So Brandon seems to be bringing in guys that can fit his system, a.k.a. shoot. He's and so it's going to be exciting. I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm, I don't I'm, want people jumping off this train. There's uh, no on, need to troll Brandon at this point. I do not want to hear fire Brandon chance in his first year of coaching. We are not absurd. the Cleveland Browns. That's absurd. But there's a lot of gray. There's a lot of middle ground between fire coach Brandon and uh, coach. Let's clean up the second half because the second half has been a continual issue for this team. We've talked about it since early in the season. It needs to be mentioned because if we if we solve that issue, if we avoid the late game collapses, we're sitting at 11 and 3. And that's the reason I'm not giving up on this season. We can string together some wins. We are continually getting better as the season goes on. Unfortunately, what we're not getting is more consistency. One step forward, two steps back. We need to take several steps forward in order to make the season, you know, reach the level that we hoped it would reach before it started. All is not lost. That being said, I know we're talking about second half woes, but we have two very winnable games coming up here. Tulsa at home. I know we said it with Tulane, but once again, this should be a game that we win. This should, if we lose this one, then yes, you know, then maybe we're starting to say the NIT is, is maybe a pot is probably the possibility. Maybe even the other tournament that I don't even know what it's called. But you don't need to write off the season period, though, hum. Like this is this is the thing that kind of upsets me. John Brandon has said from day one, it's a culture overhaul for this program, a coaching overhaul, a player overhaul. The mentality of the program is changing, but it doesn't stop at the administration. It doesn't stop with coaches. It doesn't stop with players as a fan base rally around the team. We're laying the building blocks now for something great later. We want it to be great this season. Guess what? Fan support and fan energy and a, and, a ma- and a nasty home court advantage are part of that. I think the fan base, rather than bailing and jumping ship and saying, see, see you at conference tournament time, no. Buy in now. Buy the damn dip. Get behind we this team. We are buying the dip. We are buying. My only point no, is no, that I'm not saying you're not. Tulsa, yeah. If you lose to Tulsa after losing to Tulane, it's time to take a serious look inward of what the actual expectations of this team are. And at that point, if we do lose to Tulsa, which we're not, we're not going to lose. But if, if that were to happen somehow, 
you really do got to take a look and say, okay, the only way we're getting in the tournament is conf- is to win our conference tournament. For sure. But, Hummer, we're being critical and honest about the style of play, and this really isn't directed at you so much as it, as it is the idea of a fan base being able to just Don't write, come off, at me, bro. write off come a at season. Me, bro. <laughs> a fan base writing off a season so that the next season will come back hungry because we've got new recruits coming in. You know, I I read a fantastic tweet from an incoming recruits mom of all people. Do we do we do we know which one it is? Tari Eason's mom sent some incredible words of wisdom to Bearcat Nation last night and I'd like to share it with everybody cuz it just everyone needs to keep it in mind. There is no waiting for next season. You don't write off a season. We've got Trey Scott, who gave five years of awesome service to the Bearcat community. Jaron Cumberland, who gave four years of incredible service to the Bearcat community, hitting numbers that very few in Bearcat history have actually hit, as well as other grad transfers. Javen Cumberland, Chris McNeil, Jay Sorolla. These guys are, are coming in one year or not to give everything they possibly can to the program. Let's get behind them as a fan base. It helps them. It helps elevate the program to another level. It helps recruits want to come here. I want to be a part of this energy. I want to be a part of this enthusiasm. Oh, 100%. And don't get me wrong. If the unthinkable happens Wednesday night and we were to lose to Tulsa, I'm still going to watch every game. I'm still going to hop on here and give therapy sessions, good or bad. We're still going to be out here rooting for this squad because, look, that's what we do. That's that's what we do. This is Cincinnati basketball. We've been through this before. We've been through coaching changes. We've been through highs and lows. It's it is part of of college basketball. You know, and one of the great things about college basketball is that you do get a facelift every almost every year. You're getting a new group of guys in. You're getting different players to root for. You're getting to watch the players that are here move on and, and continue their careers in other capacities. So it it is fun to get behind them. And, you know, as we'll see coming up, uh, you know, I was about to, I was about to spoil something. (laughs) Well, let me mention real quick. Let me mention Tari Eason's mom, Taroya Eason T shout out to her. She sends out a tweet that says we coming to turn the noise and tempo way up. Someone replies, amen. Next year, it's a, a bunch of fire emojis and bearcat emojis. Here's her point this year. This season right now is where the momentum starts. You are the noise. You guys are a big part of that. No team is going to fly without their wind. The wind is the fans. Trust me, I am one. I am one. Let's go. That's all I'm talking about. That's the (laughs) energy I want to be brought to this program this season. Yes, we can be frustrated. Yes, we can be honest about the shortcomings of the team, where we want to see improvement. But there's still 16 games left in the regular season in a conference tournament. We have the talent and the horses to make a serious run in that tournament. So let's see gradual and continued improvement over the next 16 games. It starts Wednesday. You got to beat Tulsa. You got to beat Central Florida on the road because then it's at Memphis. Then it starts. It's It's at at Memphis. Memphis. No, it's a huge stretch at home to Tulsa stretch at Central Florida at Memphis. It's a huge two games where you can get a two games where you can work on what's going on here. Because these are teams that you should beat. You're going to get some good rotations in. Hopefully, one of these games is a blowout that we really get to see some, 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 you know, more Jason Roll, more Mamadou, because those guys are on a roll. If you ask me, Mamadou is, is Mama can do everything right now. 
So we need to see him more. We got two good two opportunities coming up this week to really build some momentum going into Memphis. And then we're gonna then we're gonna have another another little downstretch with ECU, but then coming here to Temple, I will be there. You should see me on TV. I'm gonna be right behind Mr. Dan Ward <laughs> because I bought a solo ticket on the front row. <laughs> well, a big game, a big stretch of games coming up for the Bearcats. Um, obviously, we need more consistency. We need a higher level of play, and it starts. Yeah. Uh, it starts Wednesday against Tulsa. Hummer, it's time to transition to an exciting podcast guest. We were fortunate enough to have Ryan James of. You say this right after you say, "Let's not let's not get focused on next year. Let's keep the let's be the win this year." No, 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 no. But you, yeah, <laughs> that's a great point. No, I'm just kidding. nonetheless. Get... We've seen lots. Every, every Bearcat fan has been seeing lots of exciting highlights on Twitter, on the internet, from Mason and and Gabe Madsen. We talked to Ryan James, uh, the co-publisher of Gopher Illustrated, a national analyst for Prep Hoops. He offered some amazing insight into the, into these two individuals as people, as players, and it should give you a lot to be excited about for two of the incoming freshmen for next year's class. We are now joined by Ryan James, a co-publisher at Gopher Illustrated, a national analyst for Prep Hoops, and also a writer at North Star Hoops, Prep Hoops Dakota and Breakdown USA. Ryan, thank you for joining the podcast today. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. It's my pleasure to come on and talk to you guys about you know, two of our best basketball players in the state of Minnesota. I'm glad to hear it. We're, we're excited as Bearcat fans to learn more about Gabe and Mason Madsen. Um, you know, I think Gabe in particular was a little more, little more, little more uh, reputable, high, more highly ranked. But as we've gotten to see them play a little bit more and, and the new high school season's upon us, it seems as though Mason is starting to rise as well. What can you, what can you tell us about... Uh, they're playing Minnesota, the league they're playing in in high school. What do you what do you know about these guys? Um, I've been able to watch Gabe and Mason for three years, both in summer spring basketball with Wisconsin Playground Warriors because they are from Wisconsin, um, and and I've also been able to watch them play high school basketball here. Um, they play in a league which is in southern Minnesota called the Big Nine, and in Minnesota we have twenty six high school regular season games. But that league is so gigantic that they have 22 games set. So, like, Minnesota high school basketball right now is a clash at all times because it's at an all-time high level. They don't get to play the elite competition because their their conference schedule is so massive. But they get to play good competition. I wouldn't say it's elite, but it's good. And then when they get to the, if they get to the state tournament, which they have a decent shot at, um, then they play like some of the elite teams with some of the highly ranked players in our state. Uh, they, their dad is their coach. Their father's name is Luke Madsen. Um, so far this year, they've only got one loss. I was able to watch them on Friday night, and they blew out an opponent from Northfield, Minnesota, who's a good team. But Mason and Gabe, like Mason hit four threes within about four minutes time, and the game was essentially over. A few of those highlights trickled out onto Twitter, and you know, one in particular stood out, which was Mason coming down the court, taking about three steps inside the half court line and then pulling from three. You know, the, the style of basketball you see from Steph Curry, Trey Young. And I know that's where the game is heading, but I, I didn't think that Mason was known as that type of shooter. Has there been a big jump 
in his shooting efficiency this this year? I would say that Mason has been shooting the ball that way. I think his big jump came last year in the middle of his junior year. Um, Mason had, for me, Mason's been one of the best shooters in the state of Minnesota. And again, we right now we are a very talented state of basketball. He's been one of the best shooters in the state of Minnesota since the middle of his junior year. He had a great year shooting with the Wisconsin Playground Warriors, and he's shot the ball extremely well for Rochester Mayo this year. He's a confident shooter, shooter, and he's a very tough young man. I would say, like, Mason had two high major offers, both from your area there, Cincinnati Xavier. Um, I would say Mason might be one of the more overlooked guys I've seen around here in terms of recruiting. I don't have an answer for exactly why. Um, because when it comes to toughness, he defines toughness. When it comes to defensive, like just moxie and consistency, he's there and he shoots the ball at such a high rate. I don't, I, I think maybe it was overlooked a little bit just because Gabe is more explosive and six foot six. And maybe that had something to do with it. But to me, I think a lot of teams missed out on if they had the scholarships available. Not everybody has a scholarship available for two guys at point guard and and shooting guard and in the wing. And that that might be part of it. But I think Cincinnati really found um I don't know what the exact word is for. I think they did the job and did a good job in landing them both. And I think Mason I rank I I with a team of people at Prep Hoops rank we were we were just coming out with the top 500 nationally. And usually there's about 310, 315, 320 kids that signed D1 at a high school. Um, for me, Mason's in that top 250 range. Uh, I, I, say, I, I shouldn't say, I didn't expand on that enough. 310, 325, 330, they've signed high majors on high school. And I think Gabe is in that top 250, 275 range myself, watching him all this time. And so the difference, it sounds like, between Gabe and Mason, I know there's a size difference. Gabe, you said, is about 6'6", Mason 6'3". Do I have that right? Yeah, definitely. Okay. And in terms of style of play, so we but we now know they both can knock down shots from all over the court. Is there one that, you know, are they creators? Do they have good ball, uh, dribbling skills? Uh, do they have good hoops IQ where they're able to find other teammates and make good plays for other people? What can you tell us about them on that front? That's where I think you, you, you have two different players. When it comes to Gabe, Gabe grabbed everybody's national attention and became a national top 125 level guy when – he grew a couple inches, but then he started taking talented guys off the bounce and finishing explosively. That's what grabbed everybody's attention. Well, I mean, Gabe has been able to shoot the ball at all times, but then now he's when he grows a little bit, he's shooting over the top of players better. But then when he started taking the ball at the rim physically, that's when things changed. Um, I specifically remember at Gopher Team Camp, he played – uh, there's a wing here named Kerwin Walton who blew up this summer. I mean, he got offers from North Carolina, Arizona, Kansas, a, a whole long list. Just got offered by Georgetown, I believe, yesterday or Friday. Um, and Gabe went at him and played, I would say, got the better of him that day. He got the better of a kid here in, in Minnesota named Javon Hadley, who's a top 350 level kid. And he went at a lot of guys on the Under Armour circuit and did the same. So that is kind of where Gabe Gabe rose above uh, he his physical basketball attack is great and he had 16 rebounds the other night he he rebounds from the wing really well but he also has to because they, he's the biggest guy in his team um well he isn't now because the guy well there's a their center grew a little bit but Gabe's has to rebound for them so he rebounds pretty well for 
that. I would say, and then Mason is more your distributor, your more game-to-game consistent catch-and-shoot three-point guy, and your better defender. Where Gabe is your more explosive scorer going to the rim and hit threes. So, like, I'd say Gabe is probably more, uh, has the potential to have the more explosive game, whereas Mason is going to have the more steady game. Good stuff. When you, you know, you spent a good amount of time covering basketball across the state in Minnesota. You've seen the level of competition, but you've also seen guys come out of these, these schools and these teams and translate and how and see how their skills translate at the college level, knowing that you see the Bearcats, they play in the American Athletic Conference. There is a fairly high level of competition in our conference, but also the non-conference schedule we see. How do you see um, the Madsen brothers transitioning in terms of being able to play their freshman year? Do you see these as guys who are going to take some time, you know, to, to learn a, learn a new system, or do you see potential for potential first-year impacts? It, to me, it depends on what you guys, what Cincinnati has coming back. I'm not exactly sure what they would have coming back at their spots, but in terms of being prepared for that next level, Mason defensively is in, in shot making wise, like kind of almost like a three and D guy to a degree as a, as a guard. Um, he's going to be locked in where he can give you consistent, consistent minutes. Um, Gabe, I think if you have a wing need, if you have a wing scoring need, Gabe can fill that. Um, not exclusively. I mean, he's going to be a first-year player. It's going to take a little bit of time, obviously. But I think Gabe can give, you know, a program. If he plays 24 minutes, I could see Gabe next year stepping on the floor and averaging seven, eight points a game. Now, consistency is going to fluctuate when you're a freshman at a high level of college basketball. But he has, you know, if, if if the available time is there, I could see Gabe shooting a decent percentage from the arc and getting at the basket for three, four baskets a game. Yeah, we're, we're, we're experiencing that currently with our, our freshmen in, in-house, which is, you know, Micah Adams-Woods, who's been a pleasant surprise from Syracuse, New York, didn't come in with a ton of expectations, but has already taken over the starting point guard role, whereas Zach Harvey uh, from Kansas came in with that top 50 buzz and hasn't necessarily found a huge role this first year, but that's not to say it won't he won't figure it out in years two, three, and four. Um, did you, what else can you tell the Bearcat you know, fans, listeners about, you know, just the brothers, maybe things that you wouldn't learn from reading a, uh, a blog on 24 seven or a post about their statistics. What do you know about, about them as people? Oh man, I, you know, I've developed a nice relationship with the kids and with their, with their parents. Um, first of all, but before I get to that, I also want to add that Mason Madsen can play both guard spots. So if, if you have a point guard, Mason can go over and play the two guard the guard guard some wing, guard some two guards some of the shorter wings and he can hit the he can be a catch and shoot guy too. So just know that. Um, as far as the Madsen brothers, uh, they come from a family of teachers. Uh, they're originally from Wisconsin. They 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 had big freshman years in Wisconsin about in the and they're from the Eau Claire area, which is two hours from where they are right now in Rochester, and it's about an hour and a half from the Twin Cities. Um, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what the parents teach, but the, but their dad, Lou teaches at Rochester Mayo and their mother teaches at Austin high school, which is 30 minutes, uh, Southwest from there, which is, and the school she teaches at is actually one block from the house I grew up in. Um, so they, and I'm an, my, I also am an educator. Uh, I teach special ed, so I've been able to relate to them in that. 
Um, Gabe and Luke are two kids that are very, they, they're very respectful towards, um, very respectful towards the, the, towards their parents' careers, towards, you know, the, the, the work the teachers put in. Um, they're both very grounded young men. They're both like when I, when I see them, they're some of the more polite guys you'll see, but then on their court, they're two of the more intense guys you'll see. Um, I've never had a bad inner action with either of them like just the other night i was over there i was just friday night i was over there wanted to talk to them afterwards you see i see gabe in the training room he got a big smile on his face um excuse me that was luke and i'd see gabe in the hallway he asked me how my holiday went these are good kids um they're they're interactive in the community um again their parents are teachers so they're well educated at a young age and they're well grounded young men so it's they also live I don't know exactly what country it was, but for one year, their father or their parents taught overseas. Oh, wow. I mean, it might even, yeah, it might have been in China, actually. So they spent one year, I don't know exactly what year, maybe it was in eighth grade, living in China, because that's where their parents taught for a year. I, I believe that's how, this, how it was. So, and their father, Luke, is their high school, is their high school coach. So that, that's what I would say about them. Two, two guys that I've, I've enjoyed covering, enjoyed watching play. It's been great to learn about them. It's been great to see the clips floating out on the internet, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing them join the Bearcats next season. Not to put you on the spot here, but do you follow any recruiting outside of the state? Or so, if I asked you about guys like uh, Mike Saunders or Tari Eason, do you have any any insight on them? Uh, with what we do at Prep Hoops, um, like I am the guy that compiles a lot of the national stuff, but we we rely on more of our local guys. So like I. I step in and look at some guys when needed, but we'll, we would rely more on our local guys from that from their area. So right now, I couldn't give you too much right now without you know because we're what we do at Prep Hoops is about a team. I'm kind of right. the leader of the recruiting team, but we don't like. I, let's be honest here: one person <laughs> cannot sit there and watch all 250 seniors, all 300 juniors, all 250 sophomores. They come up with a ranking on their own. That's that's ridiculous. And people try to do that all the time. Right. Um, that's why that's why you need teams of people to come up with come up with this. And so that's how we do it at Prep Hoops. And that's exactly why we call it you. <laughs> <laughs> Just a general recruiting question. You know, there's so many kids playing basketball. I mean, it's the same for football. And so you sometimes you think uh, he's not a top hundred guy. You know, what what are we actually getting here? I, can you offer some insight there? Because I actually think it's it's kind of a, a crapshoot, and it's more about coaches identifying talent that fits into the system and style of play they want to want to see at their university. Can you speak to you know rankings once you get to that one hundred to three hundred range? To me, it does become who's about their system. Um, you know, I cover the University of Minnesota Golden Gophers, and for you know. We had a situation a few years ago where Brad Davidson was a Gophers. His family is a Gophers season ticket holders, and Brad. But Brad Davidson doesn't fit what Richard Pitino wants as a point guard. He wants a guy like Marcus Carr, who they recruited at that point and didn't land him. He went to Pittsburgh before coming to Minnesota. That's the type of point guard he wanted. McKinley Wright, who is now at Colorado, sometimes that fit is different. So if Brad Davidson's a big Gopher fan, it might be higher ranked than somebody. So that coach, that doesn't matter. They have to have the right fit for their program. The one thing I want to say also about the recruiting rankings and colleges, like a lot of recruiting rankings kind of lean on what offers do guys have. And at the modern day college coach, they don't have much time to recruit as the head guy. They really don't have as much 
evaluation time to go out and see him. You know, they learn about a guy. They have to make a schedule over three weekends in the summer, and that's what they get to do. And and now some people would think, well, you have all day to, like, look at t- tape. How does that not happen? And I think they do. But I also know, like, think of all the college coaching college coaches out there who are just trying to survive, who they just want their job. And that's the number one thing about it. I think people forget about how many of these coaches during the season are coaching for the jobs year by year. And that does play an effect in the recruiting. So sometimes I don't always believe some of the evaluations um, are strong enough from these coaches because I don't know that they have the time and some of them don't put in the time. I'm thinking of a guy right now who's ranked 125 in the country. I'm not going to say the name because I I don't need the heat right now. I don't need quite that much heat right now on my Sunday morning. But like, this guy is not talented enough. He's just not. But because he's 6'10 and runs well, and he got seen in one game, in one game, he got seen playing well this summer at an Adidas event, his recruitment blew up. But right now, he's not even a top 10 player in his state because he's been that bad. You know, we had a player here named Mike Brogrammer from Notre Dame, who I love. He went to Notre Dame, who I love. Played at Hopkins High School. He had one game, good game in front of uh, Mike Bray at Notre Dame, and that was it. He got signed. And, well, Mike just wasn't ready for that level. And then he got hurt at Notre Dame. So, you know, sometimes it's just about being in the right – you know, these coaches only get so many views, and they like the view, and they take it. So it's wild. That and is- that, was about around, that was also about around the same time Kyle Washington was playing. And I know you guys like Kyle Washington. He's from Minnesota up here at Benilde St. Margaret. So, yeah, I always enjoyed Kyle too. Nice pull. We just gave Kyle Washington our transfer of the decade for UC because he started started at North Carolina State and then made his way over to Cincinnati and had a, two two very productive years for us. Yeah, I always Kyle was a very I always enjoyed. Well, I was kind of sad that he went to prep school because I really enjoyed watching him play. He was such a, 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 a I liked him as a player, but he was also such an intellectual guy. He was always good to talk to. Well, I appreciate your feedback about the national rankings because I think what happens, it's a pet peeve of mine. You see these guys, they, they may get ranked incorrectly and the expectations may actually become too high, but what fan bases tend to do is take it out on the player and not the actual misses from who ranked them in the first place. Yes. It's, usually, it's usually not the player's fault that things aren't working out. It's that they may have been mis, misranked in the first place. Yes, and a lot of it, the other thing about recruiting is you can see the talent, but the so many people lie to college coaches, not, not all, but there's high school coaches that don't tell the truth. There are spring and summer coaches that don't tell the truth. So these college coaches don't always know what kind of work ethic these guys have. They don't know how tough they are. They don't know how much they could push them in practice. I, I was a high school coach here in Minnesota for many years, coached several D1 players. I got a player in my mind who I coached, and I remember a guy I coached with wasn't exactly all the way strong on how good this young man was. And he went to college and wasn't good enough for that level. That happens. And and he, the young man was a good player, but he just it was hard to get him. It was hard to push him, and it was hard to get him to defend consistently. And it, like some college, some of these college coaches aren't able to see that till they get him on campus. They don't always know how tough they are. They don't know how hard work they are. They just see him playing some of these AU games, and they have to try and trust people. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people out here that were worried more about a kid getting opportunity than they are being honest with the college coach. Great stuff, Ryan. We really appreciate you coming on the podcast, sharing some insights about the Madsen brothers, but also recruiting at large. Uh, you could find Ryan James on Twitter at Ryan James MN. Ryan, before we let you go, anything else you want to make sure the people hear? 
You know, I, I'm sure you guys in Cincinnati would love to know that I'm a Cleveland Browns fan and I've been tortured since I was a little kid. Like, are you guys, I mean, it, it's unbelievable. I like the color orange and my dad got me like these tops cards with Ozzie Newsome and Chip Banks back. So like in 1982 as a five-year-old, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. I mean, the amount of torture I've had, to, like, that's my connection to Ohio. Oh, that's brutal. The amount brutal. of torture I've had to go through for years is insane. That's brutal. But you, you got to admit, it's it's no better in the south of Ohio with Cincinnati. <laughs> the Bengals are, are even more of a disaster. Though, I guess with the number one pick, uh, they have a chance to to do the same thing the Browns did a few years ago and get the savior for the franchise. Yeah, yeah. They always have two saviors. It's great. And let's say, let's put savior in quotes. <laughs> but again, thank you, Ryan, and thank you for your service in teaching. Uh, I think uh, teachers aren't appreciated enough. I, my mom's a teacher myself, and uh, thank you, and thank the Madsen Brothers family as well. It's it's great to hear. Outstanding. Guys, thanks for having me on. Thank you, Ryan. Hummer, what are your thoughts on uh, Ryan James' takes on the Madsen Brothers? It's got to get you excited, right? It gets me really excited. It's some, some things that we didn't necessarily you, – you don't know what you don't know. That's that's the first takeaway. And, you know, you're hearing all about Gabe, all about Gabe, all about Gabe. And, you know, his kind of point that where Gabe got natural attention because of of what he was doing, you know, taking the ball high off the rim, getting up and, and being and showing explosiveness on on some of the great players of Minnesota. But then but then he's talking about he's almost like he talked more about Mason in, in like more excited about about Mason a little bit he in terms of his seem, shooting ability. Yeah, he did seem a little bit more excited about Mason, which really surprised me. And, I, you know, he was still saying that Gabe's the higher-ranked player. And I think what he's saying is he's got better size. You know, he has that <laughs> higher upside. But Mason sounds like we're getting a little bit of a bulldog there. Yeah, he's and he, uh, he used the word overlooked. I mean, he, he basically, from what I heard, was diamond in the rough. Right. It's that's very exciting. That's what I heard. So Very exciting indeed. Um Honestly, Hummer, it's it's a great week for Cincy Slangin'. Ryan James is just the start. We have an exciting second podcast coming this week. An interview with the former player. Are we going to let him know, Hummer? I don't think we should let him know. You know what I will tell you, though? He was recruited by Rob Baker. <laughs> Stay tuned for that, folks. It's a great uh, one-hour interview very forthcoming. You're going to learn lots of new things that, that you didn't know before. Um, we had a ton did of Buffalo fun doing win it. Yesterday? Did, did Buffalo win yesterday? I don't, uh, I think Buff- they lost. That's a, Buffalo, that's a shame. Buffalo lost. This guy would be, this guy would be upset about that. This guy would be upset about that. Well, as always appreciate the support. Find us on iTunes, hit the, hit the subscribe button. Give us a five-star review. Let us know what you like about the podcast. Uh, shoot us your thoughts on the team. Find us on Twitter at Cincy Slangin. We're also available on email, cincyslangin at gmail.com, cincyslangin at gmail.com. Hummer, we've reached the point of the podcast where it's time to dedicate this to a former Bearcat great. Who are we dedicating it to? I think to our, our next guest, one of his best friends, Mr. Kenny Satterfield. Shout out to Kenny Satterfield. I love that pick. Kenny Satterfield, one of the, one of the few players over the last two decades that has actually sniffed a Sweet 16. Kenny Satterfield, his sophomore season, took us to the promised land, which is the second weekend of March Madness. Do you remember this game? We played the Stanford Cardinal. Casey Jacobson, Jaron Collins, Jason Collins. Uh, we were overmatched in that game and did not go any further. But, hey, Kenny Satterfield has a, a Sweet 16 on his belt. 
beautiful. Well, I certainly appreciate Kenny Satterfield's contributions to the program. He was an exciting point guard on on my favorite team as a Bearcat fan, that 99-2000 team. Um, and then he stuck around for another year and had a really successful season, a surprising season, given that it wasn't a team that we thought would, would make a run in March Madness. And he now has a daughter playing college basketball at Ohio State University. So congratulations, Mr. Satterfield, and thank you ever, for all of your support over the years. This podcast is for you. Cheers. <laughs>